Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I promised a special edition episode where I would talk about the 2019 NAM show in Anaheim. And for those who aren't familiar, that is the National Association of Musical Merchandisers. Basically, it's a trade show for people who have instruments or instrument-related things, whether they be toys or effects pedals or software programs uh, or who sell the parts to make instruments, like uh, a lot of them sell the individual guitar components, the pots, the the knobs, uh, things like that, or the wire to make your own speaker cable, those sorts of things. Pretty much everything is there at the NAMM show. It takes up the entire Anaheim Convention Center, uh, in the, the main part of the building, there's a, a basement where they have the Hall E, which is the newer and smaller exhibitors. And then there's the main hall, which has the bulk of everything. And then there's the third and fourth level in the main part of the building, which has uh, some of the, the bigger vendors like uh, Pearl Drums is up there. Uh, the pianos are usually up there. Uh, you know, Gibson guitars, a lot of the really, you know, huge areas that, that are really isolated uh, rooms. So uh, you could go into the Pearl room or you could go into like a room that has just pianos in it. And it kind of isolates the sound to, to an extent. Uh, it's a pretty loud event. So uh, as much as you can isolate the sound, if you're going to spend, you know, 15, 20 grand on a piano, you really want to be able to hear it. Or if you're going to stock a number of those so that you can sell them, you really want to be able to hear it. So it's nice to have those in isolated areas. Then you take the bridge over to the other side of the building. And that's where a lot of the software companies are. Uh, there's two floors there. So you've got uh, another two floors of amazing products and people. And it's just incredible. Uh, that was where I met Alice Cooper last year. Uh, he was doing a thing for Sure Microphones. So you've got uh, like Audio-Technica microphones that are over there, Sure, um, some of the software developers, Best Services over there, uh, lots of cool stuff. And uh, Isotope uh, is also over there. And, uh, you know, the whole thing is just a huge cacophony of sound, but it's amazing because you get to see people that you work with their products all the time. Sometimes you interact with them online, and this is the only time that you get to see them in person whether you're meeting them for the first time or whether they're friends that you've seen year after year at these shows, whether it's the only time you talk to them, it's a really cool time to just have people that all believe in the same thing that are all part of that same creative process to get together, talk about ideas, see new products and, uh, and just hang out a little bit, you know? Uh, and then of course there's various after parties and dinners and, and, you know, drinks and different things that you can go to. Um, I tend to go a day early and take my one day off a year and go to the beach and just kind of try to not work. Uh, I usually end up working, you know, I can't really shut my brain off from coming up with ideas or ways to change or improve things or marketing or whatever it is. And I always shoot uh, footage of the ocean for mental sauna videos and and various things uh, because I only get out there once a year to do that. But I realized something this year that I may switch all that around and I may take the day after the NAMM show to do that. Driving home on Sunday evening after being at the show for a good part of the day, uh, it's, you know, your brain is just so overloaded with audio and visual and, and conversations. And I think it might be better to take the day after the show 
to go to the beach and clear my head before I come back home. But at the same time, I'm bursting with all these ideas. I've seen all these cool things that are coming out. I want to go home and I want to work and I want to do things and create and be in the studio and have fun. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that would be the right time or not. I may experiment next year and see how I feel. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. But either way, I have to, to take my day at, at, uh, at the ocean and, and just kind of be away from the electronics and reconnect with Earth and, uh, and enjoy the salty ocean air, which I absolutely love. And this year, I, I went a step further and went uh, walked over. I didn't walk. I took the little uh, ferry to Balboa Island, which I've never been on. And uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, I didn't get to see a lot of it, but uh, it was a lot of really interesting looking houses and condos and things. Um, guessing that it's incredibly expensive to live there. Uh, but the houses are all unique. They're just crammed together. It's like they, they tried to put as many units on the island as they could. And for from a business standpoint, I understand it. But there's really not a lot of um, there's really not a lot of privacy. And uh, I don't know. I don't really think that I would want to live there. But it was nice to visit. And I had lunch at this really cool Italian restaurant. And then I decided I, I just wanted an ice cream cone. I don't know why that popped into my head. There's obviously lots of ice cream available at the beach areas. And uh, so I got a pistachio almond ice cream cone and ate that on the long walk back to the ferry. And, uh, and headed back to the beach and just walked up and down the beach uh, sat in the sand for a while, just kind of, uh, grounding myself a little bit and clearing my head. And, uh, boy, it's just such a wonderful time. Um, there's really nothing like it. And, and I highly suggest for everyone, whether it's a local lake or, you know, even a, a pond or something, just go sit and get away from the world and the electronics and social media and pressures and sadness and everything else that that is thrust into our face on a continual basis and just just enjoy the energies and the atmosphere and the sounds of the water and uh if there's ducks or or whatever just go enjoy it uh, you you know it's just refresh a little bit um Sometimes that can clear your perspective and, uh, and you can just come back with fresh ideas and motivation and all kinds of things. So I think personally, I think it's a very healthy thing to do. For some people, though, they're not uh, people that like water. They prefer the forest or hiking or uh, mountains or different things. But, but go connect with nature. Get away from the electronics. Shut off that uh, for a little while and uh, just kind of recollect yourself. It's uh, amazing what that can do for you. Uh, okay, so my rant about health alone uh, is, is done. And uh, let's talk about the show. So this year, uh, I was only there for a day and a half uh, due to scheduling. I, I really couldn't be there for the full four days as I like to be because there is just so much to see. I mean, you're talking over 17,000 vendors. And there's some that you're ha never having heard of that you're going to want to check out what they have to offer. Uh, you get in discussions. So it's not like you can just race from one thing to another and see it. There is obviously a lot of redundancy. I don't know how many different ukulele vendors one place can have. Uh, and there were actually fewer this year, it seems like. I didn't see quite as many ukulele places as I usually do. They're typically, the bulk of them are down in Hall E, uh, but then there's places that uh, also sell ukuleles along with their other products, um, some like acoustic guitar manufacturers and stuff. So you're going to see a lot of that. And that's okay because you can just kind of brush by that. Although I will say uh, the designs on them 
can be pretty cool uh, the way that they paint them. And uh, one had like an alien head and uh, there's ones with flowers on them and, you know, pineapple, all kinds of stuff, because obviously they're, they're associated with like Hawaii and Island life and things like that. Um, but hall E, I'm just going to start there. Cause I think that's actually where I started this year. I usually save that, but uh, just because there's so many cool little random gems down there, but I actually started there because that opened a half an hour before the access to the rest of the show. So I thought, okay, well, I'll get in early and uh, start up there and just kind of see where the show goes. And then by the time I'm done with that, uh, the rest of the floors will be open and I can get back upstairs. But I actually really, you know, I really enjoy Hall E because when you get upstairs, it's a lot of manufacturers that are established. It's the kind of stuff that you would expect to see. Maybe they have out new cool products. But Hall E is like, little guys that are just starting out and sometimes they only have one product and, you know, sometimes they're, you know, just don't really know how to showcase or demo and they're not really big enough to be upstairs, but they have something really awesome to offer. And you're going to see a lot of guitars everywhere you go at NAMM. You're going to see a lot of guitars and guitar related stuff because it is a primary instrument for most people. More people play guitar. I think statistically more people play guitar than anything else. So it's it's understandable that that would have the highest amount of support. So there's a lot of acoustic guitar manufacturers in Hall E. There's some electric guitar manufacturers, a lot of pedal makers, and a lot of parts manufacturers. So if you're looking for different tuning keys or you're looking for different bridge parts or that kind of thing, you're going to see a lot of that down there. A couple of string manufacturers, but not as many as, uh, as there are guitars or, or uh, parts manufacturers. There's also a lot of cable makers that come from overseas. And there's also a lot of, um, you know, microphones and uh, uh, wireless mic technology, some speaker companies that do uh, live theater speakers and things like that. Um, but there's also just the random one-off things that just catch your eye. And I think it was the first booth I actually stopped and was really interested in what they had to offer was a company called Vocal Mist. And it looks very simple. It looks just like a personal mister that a vocalist would use, or maybe even someone in theater or someone who just does a lot of talking, like a stage manager. But this is is designed for uh, for vocalists who uh, are in like a studio situation or maybe a theater situation um, for them to sort of hydrate their vocal cords. But it uses a specific sort of salt solution that's that's designed specifically for this particular unit, and it goes well beyond the personal vocal mist system. There's a lot more to it, and uh, so I talked to them for a bit. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get them on the podcast at some point. Um, they seem, they, they were very nice people and very knowledgeable about what they were talking about. A little of it went over my head because I'm not uh, a vocalist, but it could be something I could utilize here for the podcast as well. Um, but they, uh, they're a pretty cool company and they have an Instagram and, uh, they are at www.myvocalmist.com. And of course I'll have all these links in the show notes, but, uh, yeah, check them out because if you do a lot of talking like I do, or you do a lot of singing, it might be a product that you're interested in and, uh, could be beneficial. And the price point is pretty good. I think it's under $90. Uh, and then there's shipping and then there's different packs that they offer for the number of um, salt solution packs that they have. And it's, uh, you know, they go into obviously on the website detail about the, the salt. And I'm not, I don't remember enough about what I heard to be able to speak on it. 
but uh, but yeah, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's worth it. And I've shared that with some of my friends in radio and some vocalists and things. And everybody's kind of raised an eyebrow to it. So uh, that might be a beneficial thing for any of you who happen to be in those fields. Maybe you're a voiceover artist also. Uh, that could be good for you. So uh, I can't remember in order of everything I saw. One of the things that I was curious about while I was at the show, I wanted to visit some string manufacturers because I'm trying to incorporate more live bass into my mental sauna music. And I really am searching for that warm uh, bass sound. And uh, so obviously one of the components of that is going to be the strings that you use. And there's a lot of string manufacturers out there. So I wanted to talk to a few different ones and see what they would recommend. And I've talked to, to my friends and seen what they recommend as well. And uh, it seems that the uh, flat wound strings are the most uh, highly recommended to me. But I wanted to see what the manufacturers themselves had to say and what some of these companies had to offer. Interestingly, I talked to several and there really weren't any that were offering flat wound strings. Now, I don't know anything about the science of string creation at all. I don't. And so I don't know what goes into it, what's common, what more people play and what don't. I don't know how many bass players are looking for a warmer tone. I would think more in uh, in like jazz or new age would be uh, something that, that would be more sought after. Whereas rock, you're obviously looking for something with a harder edge, which a company like Elixir Strings uh, might be something that uh, would be of interest um, with their, their coding is uh, very unique to them. Or, so I've been using uh, Diodario flat wounds and I thought, well, maybe there's an alternative uh, string that may, might help get a little bit of a warmer tone. But I honestly didn't find anything. Um, I had a couple of manufacturers that tried to convince me that I could get just as much of a tone from round wound strings because that's what they had to offer. So I, I had more respect, I think, for the companies that just said, yeah, this isn't going to get you where you want to be. I would look at this kind of product instead. Unfortunately, we don't offer that. And uh, and I like that. I mean, maybe these other people are right. Maybe they have found a way to get something warm out of those strings. But the the consensus being that round wound is not the way to go. Uh, I, I had, I, I guess, a little more believability with the companies that followed that general consensus. Of course, with all the other components, maybe that doesn't make much of a difference. But uh, like the guys at Elixir, uh, for example, were very, very adamant about the fact that they did not have a product that they would recommend to me. And considering how you know big and, and popular they are, I was a little disappointed because I wanted to try their strings. But at the same point, they're telling me flat out, we can't get you where you want to be. So don't pay attention to us for this particular thing that you're doing. But if you're doing something else, then come back and revisit. I like that. I really like honesty uh, in a manufacturer. So uh, that was kind of an interesting experience uh, because I'm not familiar with it. So I'm kind of trusting on on their um, experience and, and product knowledge. Obviously, that's the world they live in. So uh, kudos to Elixir for, for flat out uh, telling me they can't help me. But uh, but there's other things that they might be able to do in other venues. So I, I thought that they handled that very well. And uh, definitely when I do more rock type stuff, um, I will look at their, their products. Um, I've got a rock album that I'm working on right now. Uh, I just haven't gotten to the point where I'm about ready to start recording bass. But once I do, uh, maybe I'll give them a shot and see what kind of tone I can get uh, with their uh, coding and technology. So there's that. Um, there was a, in Hall E. It's it's interesting because there's so many people that come from overseas. 
uh, a lot of them seem to be really shy. And what I noticed is the same thing I see every year where they're sitting at a table, they're not really engaging, trying to get people to come and talk to them. And uh, they're really kind of isolating themselves, whether they're on their phones or they're, they're eating or whatever it is. There's others that just stand there and kind of look out at people, but again, don't really engage. They will engage if you do, but they're very reserved. And I, I don't know the cultural differences. I don't know how they do things in their countries. So that could be very normal for them. But at the damn show, that won't necessarily work. You know, when you come over here, you kind of have to market to whatever area that you're in. And uh, if it, it's not cheap to rent those spaces. So, um, you know, take advantage of it. That's, that's definitely something I would suggest. But then there are those people that like they will, every one of them will shove a card at you and say, hey, check us out, check us out. But they also don't engage beyond that. They like, like, here's our card, look us up, go to, you know, let me know if you have any questions, but I'm really not going to talk to you while I'm here face to face. And I've got the product right here that you could check out unless you request that. It's a really, really weird thing. And, uh, but again, like I said, in their cultures, that might be completely the normal way to do business. But to me, like, if you have somebody in front of you, you gotta, you gotta sell them right there, you know, do it. Um, so that was interesting. So I've got some follow-up that I, I still need to do, but you know, you don't want to follow up right after the show. You want to give people a couple of weeks to get back home, get settled. It's an exhausting time. Uh, you know, if these long flights are involved, you know, you got to recover from that and you're going to get pummeled with people that are right away. Hey, I saw you at the show. I want this. I need that. I want to answer. I want you to answer this question. And I'm just going to wait, you know, a couple of weeks and then reach out to people and, uh, you know, kind of give them time to decompress a little bit. Um, so when, when you go down into hall E, it's, it's not like the other floors, it's not organized to where, uh, all the percussion is together in one giant area. And then you've got all your DJ stuff that's together in one area or the majority of it is in one area. Um, it's just a mishmash of whatever. So you could, you could walk down one aisle and see two guitar parts manufacturers, four acoustic guitar companies, three speaker manufacturers, a microphone company, a wireless mic system, uh, and uh, a string manufacturer. And you might see that on the same combination of things on six different aisles. So you really, and, and the aisles aren't complete where you can just walk up and down. Some are broken up because they have concessions. Uh, some are just smaller aisles compared to the others. So you really have to um, navigate it. Uh, so that you see everything because there could be something really cool in one tiny booth that you could easily miss. So if you do get to go to the show, uh, do try to really check out everything in, in that area because uh, there's a lot of little gems like, you know, like Vocal Mist. Um, another company that um, is is a, a up and coming company, their product isn't quite on the market yet, but they were showing it there to kind of get opinions which I thought was a great investment uh, for a startup company because this is the place where you're going to meet the people that are using their products and in, in mass, you'll meet them. So uh, it was really interesting. I had quite a dialogue with them and they were very, very receptive to questions, to ideas, to feedback, very personable, very intelligent people. And this is a company called Gigatone who has uh, created a sort of um, guitar plug on one end that's a MIDI cable on the, or a, a USB cable on the other end 
so that you can uh, direct record guitars without using an extra sound card. So uh, instead of going through your sound card, you can just plug it in like you would a USB microphone, only it's for guitar. And then they're looking at doing ones that would expand to other instruments as well. But right now, uh, their first product is guitar. And it, like I said, it's not on the market yet, but it was certainly interesting. And I really hope that they they get there because they're really cool people. I think it's a neat idea. Uh, you could also plug it into like a USB speaker if you just want to jam and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty neat stuff. So uh, I, I wish them the best of luck. And uh, again, you know, should their product become uh, something that does hit the market, uh, hopefully I'll be able to get them on the podcast uh, to talk about it and to talk about the technology. Because I think the, the challenge for some of these companies that have really unique items that look similar to other things, to the casual observer. If I'm in Guitar Center and I see a package hanging on the wall and it's a guitar cable, I might not necessarily notice that on the other end, it's a USB. And even if I did, I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't really you know, get what that does. I can make a guess. So the packaging, I think, for these kinds of things is going to be really important uh, when they're not there to explain it. But while I was there, I saw a couple of other people come by and kind of have the same question I did. Like, what is this? What does it do? I see this, but I want to make sure that I know my assumption of it isn't wrong, you know. So it's different when the people aren't there. But I think it's a cool product. I think it could potentially have a lot of use for for people, especially if you're just starting out in small building and you don't have the money to buy all the components for your studio, but you've got a, a DAW and you want to jump in and start some recording or some scratch track ideas. You have ideas you just want to lay down so that you don't forget them and uh, be a great way to do it because the phones, obviously, you know, people are doing that on phone, but they have smaller storage capacities as well, you know, where your computer, you can put in a, a huge amounts of hard drive space. So I thought they were pretty cool. And uh, again, best of luck to to them and uh, hope that they they become a, a regular thing. Um, I did get to, to uh, I did not get to see Behringer. Uh, they were uh, originally, I, I thought they would be there. They're there every year, but this year they did uh, an external get together outside of NAM. And let me tell you, once you've gotten a parking space and you're going to the NAM show, you don't want to leave that parking space. Uh, they're very expensive and I, I've seen parking as high as $90 a day for the show. And, um, for me, I usually pay 17 a day where I park and it's a, it's a walk, but it's not a bad walk. And especially after all the walks I do in Vegas, I realized this year it's really short, but, um, it can get really expensive. And if you give up that parking space and you want to go back to the show, you're really going to have a hard time finding a parking space in the afternoon. The convention center uh, on the other side of Catella borders Disneyland. So you've got Disney, you've got the Anaheim Walk, uh, you've got all these things that are going on, and there's only so much parking. And there's hundreds of thousands of people. I think 350 is is the count that I saw. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, but just on Saturday alone, you're probably looking at 150 to 200,000 people. So, you know, parking is not something that you want to give up. So as much as I would have liked to, even as time pressured as I was, I wasn't going to leave the NAM show to go visit Behringer in the afternoon and then come back to the NAM show. Um, you know, hopefully they'll be back next year, but they also have a location here in Vegas that uh, they're moving to a new spot. So I'll go visit them when they're up and running. Um M Audio was another company that uh, was supposed to be there. They actually had a room listed, but when I went to the room, 
all the other vendors in that room were listed, but they were not. So I did not get to talk to them. And I actually have an issue with them that I wanted to discuss. So uh, I was a little disappointed in that. And honestly, that room was so tiny. I don't know where they would have been anyway. Uh, It was a very tiny room. And there was, I think, like four other vendors in there. And they were all small, but still, you know, you've got to have room to demo products. And if, if one of them's doing something, the other one can't hear. And it's it's pretty difficult. So um, I was a little bit disappointed about that. However, I did get to see uh, my friends at Isotope, which uh, was was fantastic. I like to visit them every year. They're one of the companies that I work with on nearly a daily basis, and they're they're a cutting edge, innovative company. They do uh, a lot of audio restoration stuff. Uh, with the uh, RX series, I've uh, been able to get a lot of uh, artifacts out of audio using their stuff. But they've also uh, expanded into other things like their Spire uh, pr- program, which is basically like a, a multi-track recording system uh, th- that's very, very portable. Uh, so if you're on the road, you're in your hotel, you want to jam with some buddies, whatever you guys can record, it can do. I think it can record in two tracks at a time and it has eight track capability. So you can do uh, a lot of layers and stuff. Really, really cool. And, uh, you know, the the uh, Ozone series is what I use to master all of my music with and uh, do a little bit of EQing and cleanup in there as well. Uh, but RX is, has been the, the main thing that uh, I've used for audio cleanup. And, and uh, so great stuff from them. And it's always good to see them up and coming. They also uh, did the vocal synth that I used on Haunted Holidays 2. And I think I used it on 3 too. I can't remember now. Uh, which will be out next year. But um, yeah, they make some really great stuff. And and I, I work with them so much, I, I really feel almost like they're family because they're just a part of my everyday. And it's really nice to be able to, to connect with these people, see who they've hired. Uh, that new, I think the guy that uh, I talked to there had only been there for a couple of weeks. And uh, so everything was kind of fresh and new. And he was dealing with the, the learning curve because their products are amazing. But they have a huge learning curve to do things beyond the template function. And uh, it's worth the investment, though, because the stuff that they do is amazing. I, I had uh, well, my friend Angela, who was on the show uh, last month, uh, she had a uh, recording of a song that was done in a theater. And there were a bunch of mic pops. I don't know if the singer was banging the mic against his face or, or hitting it or what. But there was a lot of mic popping that was really intrusive on the song. And she sent it to me to see what I could do with it. And using Isotope RX4 Advanced, I was able to actually take out all those mic pops, but not affect the reverb of the room. And I love that we live in an age where we can do those kind of things, where we have that kind of control over the signal and uh, and really make something that's kind of unpleasant, pleasant again. And it's uh, to me, it's a much more listenable song, which is good because it's a great song. I, I love it. But at the same time, you know, it, it that really took away from it. And that was uh, her Sad Penis Christmas song that I put the link. Uh, I think we had the link in, in her episode. And uh, yeah, so I was able to do that. I'm not sure if she re-uploaded that to YouTube or not. I, I haven't uh, gone to the video since. But anyway, uh, it's, it's definitely something that's nice to be able to clean up the audio. I also used that on uh, a couple of EVPs that, uh, that I had um, that I have on my SoundCloud. Uh, that you can hear. And uh, a lot of that, the background noise and everything was cleaned up using Isotope RX. So uh, they're a very cool company and uh, it's always great to reconnect with them. Uh, they've also been kind enough to send me some products to to review and uh, I, I still owe them a couple of reviews. I've got to do a review for the vocal synth here in the next week or so. Uh, just got hired to do a, a, a film theme though. So I've got to do it after that. 
Um, but it's great to visit, uh, to visit them. And then, um, I got to talk about band lab because band lab was great enough to purchase, uh, sonar, which was made by a company called cakewalk away from Gibson who was shutting it down. And Gibson has not been without their problems. That's very common knowledge. I was actually surprised to see they had a very large room on, I think it was the third floor, the third or fourth floor of, uh, of the main section. Uh, I really wasn't sure if they would even be there at all, to be honest, but they were, and, uh, and they're really uh, focused on the guitar stuff. They, they tried to get into the software business. They didn't, I, there's a lot going on with them. I won't get into that, but they didn't support it well. Uh, mainly, they just kept charging us for minimal upgrades, and uh, I, I was not happy with that. But so BandLab comes in after they after Gibson announces that they're shutting Cakewalk down, and, and people that had paid for lifetime licenses uh, were were just screwed, you know. And it wasn't it wasn't right, but that's the risk that you take when you pay for something lifetime is that you expect that the company is going to be around that long. But I, I don't always know that they will. And that's one of the reasons that I don't do these subscription services either, because I don't want to use sounds that in three years the company's gone belly up and I'm not going to have access to if I need to uh, record it for a licensing deal or something like that, or I have to do alternate versions of it for for a film. Uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So I'm not, I'm not really sold on those yet. And that's partially why, uh, plus, you know, for all the companies that have reached out and said, Hey, you know, we have a subscription service. I, I would be paying an extra, uh, rent payment in, in, for all the companies I've seen do that. And that's just not feasible. So uh, again, I'm not sold on the technology, but interestingly, the statistic is, is about 50, 50 ish, depending on the company. Um, and I, I really find that surprising, but I also understand it. You can pay a small fee every month and have access to you know eight nine thousand dollars worth of products instead of you know having to buy this product for one sound and you're not going to use the rest or whatever. Like I, I get that. So uh, you know, for for some people it works. For me, I'm just not there yet. So uh, BandLab, uh, I went and visited them. They actually have a much more diverse group of products than I really knew. I mean, I knew that they had their uh, phone app, which was like a mini DAW. And then they have their uh, service where uh, they encourage musicians to collaborate. So it kind of made sense for them to to purchase a DAW because now it gives people uh, the ability to all be working in the same program and they can pass files back and forth and share and add to it and edit and things like that. It, it's really a brilliant uh, combination of, of elements. And uh, but I, I just went to you know to say thanks and, and uh, ask a couple of questions and, and things and. Um, I also did. Yeah, I, I invited them to come on the show and hopefully we'll be able to schedule that soon because in, in the forums that I belong to for, for uh, because they've now rebranded uh, the program to be Cakewalk again, which is what it was when it first came out. And I've been with them since like 4.2 in 1901 or you know however long it's been. And um, that was back when I think it came on, I think it came on a floppy disk. I can't remember if it was a floppy disk or a CD now, but but I know that the demo version that I had was on a floppy disk. Uh, 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 <laughs> it's it's a bit amazing when you think about how long ago that was. Um, but anyway, the the whole thing about it is that it's free. We paid hundreds and hundreds, maybe a couple thousand or a few thousand dollars to 
uh, Cakewalk and to Gibson over the years for product enhancements for the new version that would come out. It went from uh, Cakewalk to uh, Sonar to X-Series to Platinum, and then it just got dumped. And, um, you know, it's just it's just been a nightmare. So uh, BandLab rebranded it as Cakewalk, as it originally was. And it is a cakewalk by Band Lab now. But here's the catch that isn't a catch at all, but people are afraid of. It's free. Absolutely free. I think the last version, uh, if you bought it brand new without the upgrade price, I think Platinum was like $6.99, I want to say. So almost $700. And Band Lab is just saying, hey, download it. And they've been amazing with bug fixes, with upgrades. I think they've had it about a year or so, I want to say. And in that time, they've already done 10 bug fix slash upgrade releases. And for a company that's not charging you for the product, that's pretty cool. And uh, I I verified with them, you know, really, there's there's no intention of ever charging for the software itself. And they said, absolutely not. This will always remain free. And I said, well, what about add-ons? Because they only purchased certain parts of the software from Gibson because some things were third-party that Cakewalk had agreed to that Gibson was grandfathered into, um, but BandLab was not. So some of the synthesizers and things that come with uh, came with Platinum, you cannot get. Uh, now, if you still have the original version of Sonar or any of that up to Platinum on your system – then those plugins that are part of that will load into Cakewalk by BandLab, but they can't offer them with the new, if you're just starting out, they can't offer them with the new version. So uh, that's because of all the contracts and, and agreements and everything else. And it's certainly understandable. So uh, those are really the only changes. And uh, they do have some uh, plans to add things down the road, whether they'll charge for those things or not, I don't know. But I don't think that's unreasonable. If you're creating a synthesizer or uh, an effect plugin or mastering software or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you if you charge for that. And that's fine. Either we already have third-party plugins for that, or we can check out what they've got. But uh, yeah, I don't blame them for monetizing that. But the program itself, they're very adamant about, is always going to remain free. So I, I think that's awesome. Pro Tools is ridiculously expensive. Digital Performer's not too bad. You've got Cubase. You've got Ableton Live. You've got Studio One. Uh, I think they're on Studio One version four now. Um, but and they all have great things to offer. I started on so on Cakewalk, so it's kind of the one that I know the best. And it's like a word processor or a graphic design program. Like they all offer some unique things, but they're all basically the same. And it's a matter of which environment are you more comfortable with. And I can work very, very quickly in Cakewalk, uh, which is why I stick with it. I've played on Pro Tools. I've done some stuff in Digital Performer, in Cubase, in Ableton. And uh, I think depending on the project, I might use Ableton for some stuff. But honestly, the majority of my time is going to be spent in Cakewalk. So thank you once again, Bad Lab. Uh, I love you for saving us from uh, Gibson's misdirection of this uh, wonderful program. So it was nice to to connect with them directly. I've talked to them a few times uh, on the internet and stuff, but uh, again, that personal connection is just so amazing. So um, move on to uh, another product that I discovered shortly before NAM that I wanted to visit is a company called Audionamics. Uh, that's one word, A-U-D-I-O-N-A-M-I-X. And 
I stumbled across them because they have a noise reducing program that I wanted to check out for the podcast. But here's the catch. It was not supported by uh, BandLab, which means that the two companies basically haven't uh, gotten together to work out and make sure that everything functions properly in that environment. So Audionamics has a plugin and Cakewalk has a host program, but the chocolate and the peanut butter never got together to make the peanut butter cup. So uh, that was one of the things that I wanted to, I didn't know uh, until I looked at the program and I saw it wasn't on the, the, um, the supported list, but that doesn't mean it won't work. So I contacted Audionamics and I said, hey, this is the environment I'm in. I see it's not supported, uh, but I want to see if I can test it. Uh, what would you suggest? So they sent me a 10-day trial version of it. And I loaded it into Cakewalk and uh, immediately I recognized that it didn't look right. Uh, the, the plugin window is much smaller and some of the functions are not visibly available. You cannot extend it. So I couldn't reach some of the functions, but I could reach two of them. And the main function of this particular uh, program is a, uh, as the noise reducer, is uh, a dial, just mainly a dial. And you just turn the dial and you see how much of the noise you can reduce before it starts affecting the dialogue because it's really designed for dialogue, which is why I wanted to check it out for the podcast because there is the sound card noise. There is the computer fan noise. And I can only spend so much time uh, going through RX and, and finding the frequencies and taking that out. Come to find out after the fact that the newest version of RX actually has a cleaner very similar to this. Uh, but this is, is much more cost effective for me right now than the upgrade price to the newest version of RX. So I went ahead and uh, checked out the demo, found out it wasn't 100% compatible, but it still served the function I needed it to serve. And they were also doing a NAM uh, sale. So I purchased it under the NAM sale. But uh, so I talked to BandLab and I said, well, hey, I got this company. I haven't talked to him yet, but here's what I found out. What makes this compatible? Because I thought VST2 or VST3 are standard. Uh, and for the most part, they are. But there's some specifics that need to be, uh, you know, uh, mutually worked on together. So he said, uh, all I have to do is send us an email. So I said, great. So then I went and found Audionamics booth and I talked to them and I said, hey, this is the environment I work in. Here's what I do. I'm a musician. I'm also a podcaster. I also get hired to clean up files from time to time. I would love it if you two would get together. Uh, so hopefully I was able to facilitate that. And that's another part of the reason that you go to the shows is because there's a collaborative effort that can happen, uh, which last year I found a couple companies that were offering brand new products. And I said, hey, have you talked to this company to maybe have them do your distribution? Uh, around the world because they would be like a small company from, uh, you know, a different country or, you know, uh, somewhere in the States that really didn't have the connections. And uh, so I was able to um, facilitate for those companies as well. And hopefully, you know, something will come of it. Uh, I went and I, I did go ahead and purchase this. So I, I now have it. And that's why my podcasts are suddenly sounding so much better. So thank you, Audionamics. That's, uh, that was a wonderful uh, pro program that you came out with. And it's so easy. What would take me an hour and a half to two hours to clean uh, a show that's an hour to an hour and a half uh, now takes me about a minute. So uh, again, you know, with that time, I can go on and do other things. So it was great to connect with them. Um, they've got a couple other really cool products that I'll check out uh, as I have the need for them. But yeah, go to their website. They, they've got some really cool stuff. 
And uh, so that was uh, the majority of the first day and just like running around and, and checking out what was there, what was new, taking some pictures. I do have a photo album on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page. It's NAM 2019 is the photo album. Uh, unfortunately, because I was so time pressed this year, I didn't get to take as near as many photos as I wanted to with 17,000 vendors. And then so many things in each of the rooms and in each of the, the displays, uh, it's just impossible to get it all. But I, I was hoping to get more, but uh, I, I was at least able to get what I did. So uh, my buddy, Eric Santistevan, who's just a fantastic guy, uh, had reached out to me on uh, Sunday morning, which is the last day of the show and wanted to meet up. So, uh, I met him early, uh, before the doors opened and, um, we got to hang out and, uh, and watch just this uh, amazing, amazing harp player, but it's, it's not a regular harp player. It's, it's called the earth harp and it's something that he created. It is called the earth harp. And, this thing, I mean, it sounds just heavenly. It for for such a small thing, in comparison to the sound that you get out of it, you just don't expect it's going to be able to do what it can do. And what's really interesting and unique about this is that one side of the strings are hooked to the actual harp, and the other side of the strings were hooked to the side of the building, like sixty feet away or or whatever it was. Uh, but he's hooked them to the side of skyscrapers uh, a thousand feet away. And I don't know how you make a string a thousand feet long, let alone the 15 or 16 strings or whatever it was that, that make up this unit. And not all the strings are playable. Some of them are designed strictly to pick up the harmonics and, and broadcast those based on the vibrations of the strings that he's playing. It just has such an amazing tonal quality to it. It's amazing to watch him play it because it's a very physical instrument. You know, you move around a lot. Uh, you really, he has so much control over the dynamics of it. Uh, and he's playing them through gloves, which normally you wouldn't play an instrument through gloves unless you're like a drummer or percussionist who's wearing drum gloves. Uh, it's it's really interesting. And, uh, and it just sounded absolutely amazing. So uh, Eric and I hung out for a little bit. We watched his act. We talked to him afterwards. Really nice guy, very intelligent, uh, really love what he created there. And uh, I, I did a short video uh, of that that's also on my Facebook page that you can check out. Uh, but yeah, just, just fantastic. I guess he played at Coachella a few years ago. I'm pretty sure he was at NAMM last year, but I didn't get to see him. Uh, but yeah, if you ever get to see it, it's it's a fantastic thing. It's amazing on video, but being there live, it's just uh, such an energetic thing. So that was uh, pretty awesome. And then uh, he and I went to a couple of different booths. We looked at um, – he wanted to go check out Stephen Slate's booth, and uh, I hadn't really kept up on what they've been doing lately. I do have a couple of their, their – uh, well, I think it's just Stephen Slate drums uh, and, and some of their products, the VSTs that I have. But – they have uh, some processors. They have a really cool uh, uh, screen extension for for your DAW. It's uh, it's basically a television uh, that sits in front of you that is completely touchscreen. You can operate whether you're using Pro Tools or Cubase or, or Cakewalk or anything. It works as a shell on top of that, and you can fully mix by hand uh, on the screen. It's really, really cool. It does have a little bit of a delay time depending on what you're doing. Um, but it's a pretty massive thing, and it's it's relatively inexpensive. I think the the small one is like a uh, thousand, which for that kind of technology is pretty good. And then they they get bigger and go up from there. But uh, but they had this really cool new uh, drum gate, and it's not on the market yet. But if you're 
like a studio perfectionist and let's say that you're list you you've recorded a drummer and you're listening back to the snare track and you're hearing some bleed from the kick drum and you're hearing some bleed from the hi-hat this will take almost to all of that out and very easily much like the the dialogue cleaner from audionamics this is a very simple thing to use and if you want to get that bleed out of there so that you really have control over the individual instruments um this is perfect for it. So if you put an effect on a snare, but you've got bleed from the hi-hat, it's going to sound like it's affecting the hi-hat as well because it's hitting that uh, that hi-hat sound and, and rebroadcasting that through the effect. So this gives you the ability to really just control what you hear per instrument uh, without the bleed. It, it, you know, it, it'll affect panning. It'll give you more options for controlling the sound. So definitely really, really cool. And it's, I, I don't remember when they said it's going to be on the market, but it's going to be, you know, sometime, I think in the first quarter of this year. So uh, check that out and you can see demos of it right now at the Stephen Slate website. Uh, very, very cool stuff. The, uh, the highlight of my trip, honestly, is always the best service booth because it has some of the coolest people uh, that, that, again, these are people I only get to see once a year, but they're some of the most genuine, caring, dedicated developers that I know. And uh, Ed- Eduardo Torlante, who uh, made uh, the ERA series, he did Forest Kingdom, he did uh, a bunch of, of just out-of-this-world stuff. Uh, Wolfgang Wanko, who works with Best Service, uh, and Chris Hine, who does, uh, who did uh, the Chris Hine uh, brass series, and then uh, went on to expand that into other orchestral elements. Now he's got uh, woodwind strings and brass, and uh, just unbelievable depth and and control and playability. And it's it's just amazing that things that these guys are coming up with. And I mean, there's a lot of great stuff out there. East West had some really cool problems. And even though I have some issues with them as a company, I have to say their products are phenomenal. Uh, Yuenga came out with uh, her own instrument with them, and uh, I, I got to play with it a little bit while I was there. And it's just unbelievable. I, I highly, highly recommend it. And uh, if, if you want anything that's like sort of ethnic uh, vocals in your productions, she's phenomenal. There's individual sounds, there's phrases, there's all kinds of stuff. And you have a great deal of control. They've really done a great job starting to work with pitch. Uh, a lot of the old vocal stuff, like you would hit a sample and it would do a run, but you wouldn't know what key it's even in. You'd have to sit there and figure it out. So you don't really know if it's going to work in your production or not, or you'd have to pitch shift it or spend a lot of time with it. So people tended, like myself, tended to stay away from vocal libraries. East West has really solved that problem and given you very obvious, here's the key this is in, here's the key this phrase is in, and they give you those options. And the cool thing is that they're not exactly the same. Uh, You know, it's a human singer and she's going to sing things a little bit differently every time. So if you're listening to this phrase in in the key of A, A major, uh, by the time you get to E minor, it could be a completely different thing with that same basis, but she's got different inflections. So it's really live, you know, it's really alive and uh, doesn't make the sound so, uh, oh, well, it just sounds like they copied this and pitch shifted it. It's not uh, that way. It's very, very real. So it's very playable. And they came out with uh, a similar library for soul singers and uh, their new one is opera, which uh, I didn't really get to check out, but the little bit I heard of it, 
really sounded uh, amazing. And, and with their upgraded choirs and stuff, they've done a phenomenal job of getting some really cool stuff out there. Uh, did get to hang out with my friend Martina, who's one of their reps. Uh, she works with the music Markum and she, uh, fantastic. She reps for a lot of companies. Uh, Cloud Microphones was one of them that I got to check out. And uh, they've got some really cool stuff. It's very high end. Uh, you know, they're, they're not, uh, you know, like sure SM57 or SM58 pricing. I mean, you're talking around $1,500, $1,600, but you can also switch from a vintage pattern to a modern pattern. Uh, the, the sound quality is crystal clear. They've really done some amazing stuff and they can customize, uh, some parts of the microphones for you as well. So, uh, definitely check them out. Cloudmics.com. Uh, and, uh, but getting back to, to guys like Eduardo. So Eduardo has a new, uh, VST coming out very shortly and it's called dark era, which is part of his era series. And I've used some of that on, uh, on the mental sauna stuff. When I did mental sauna worlds, uh, I had just gotten it. So I, I incorporated some of that into worlds and, uh, something I'm going to be working more with because it's just such a beautiful, lush, full tone sounds. And, uh, they're very playable, very warm, very expressive, and uh, just you know, everything I've heard him do has just been a, a home run. And the thing is, when I listen to guys like uh, the stuff Eduardo comes out with, like Chris Hine, I don't worry about, gosh, you know, if I'm going to spend $400 on something or $500 on something, this I really hope it's good because I don't want to get it. And, and, you know, the quality's not there. I don't worry about it with these guys because these guys take the time to make sure that everything is top-notch. They don't say, hey, this is coming out May 21st and put it out May 21st, whether it's got bugs or not. They just don't put it out until it's ready. And I I love that because you know if you're going to spend that kind of money, you're getting something quality. You don't have to question it. You're not just getting something quality. You're, get some, you're getting something that's playable, that's uh, workable, whether you're a composer, whether you're a performer and you need backing music, whatever it is, it's going to deliver it every time. And so I got to talk to, to Chris Hine quite a bit, actually, about the, the depth of the process of, you know, sampling and then editing all the samples. And, you know, you're talking thousands of samples. And I've done a little bit of sample editing uh, in the past. And, but that was just, you know, I think I did probably about, you know, 10,000 samples or so for this one project. But they're dealing with hundreds of thousands of samples. And it's the, the dedication, the focus, the, uh, the effort. It's just amazing what they put into it. And as the uh, end user, it's, it's awesome to meet these people and to be able to say thank you because what you're doing allows me to do what I do. And you're giving me some really amazing creative choices, a lot of options so that I can shape the sounds the way that I want to. Uh, just, just great stuff. So, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, era two, or uh, I'm sorry, dark era coming out, uh, in the next month or so. That's Eduardo's new one. Chris is, is building and improving on his, uh, orchestral program constantly and, uh, check it out. Uh, you can see both of them, uh, their stuff at bestservice.com. Uh, and, uh, Wolfgang is a phenomenal facilitator for this. He, he gave me the demo of the orchestral program from Chris last year. And it, it was like nothing I'd seen on the market before, something completely unique, way more playable, way more controllable. And uh, thank you, Chris, Eduardo, Wolfgang, all you guys, Isotope, Audionamics, all you guys that are out there that are creating the tools that allow me to create, uh, whether it's a movie score or something that I've been commissioned to do for, say, a music library or, or an independent project or a commercial 
uh, or or just one of my own albums, be it Mental Sauna or a rock album or anything. Uh, you guys make the tools that make all the difference in all those things. So uh, yeah, the NAMM show was, was really successful this year. I got to meet a lot of cool people, uh, start some new relationships, as well as see some friends and, and see some amazing new gear that's coming out. Uh, like I said, check out Stephen Slate's site. They got a lot of really cool things. Isotope is amazing. Uh, best service. Uh, you know, and I'm even going to throw East West into that because I think their their new products are just phenomenal. Uh, really, really cool stuff. So uh, hopefully I'll uh, be able to make the NAMM show again next year and really be able to spend the four days there that I like to. Uh, hope this was uh, interesting for you guys. Uh, whether you're in the industry or outside of the industry, it's sometimes neat to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. So uh, thank you to uh, Cloud Mics for sponsoring me this year. And uh, thanks to everybody who showed up and who spent some time with me and demoed their products or answered questions. And uh, hopefully I'll have some of you guys on the podcast because I'd really love to start doing some episodes where I do uh, some some more uh, you know product interaction and stuff like that. So you guys can see what's out there and what we work with. And uh, interestingly, I had some discussions with some people about the podcast and, and maybe some different directions to take it in. But there's so many people that I want to, you know, not just give some exposure to, but but people that I think are interesting for the audience and people that maybe you can learn something from, uh, just some behind the scenes about how it works or how it's created or the amount of work that goes into something or, you know, why somebody chose this path instead of that path, or maybe some advice to people that are considering a career or, you know, just really anything I can do to help move things forward. And uh, I've got some really interesting guests coming up uh, this week. I've got my friend Scott Lazinski, who is a, a fantastic graphic designer. Uh, and then after him, I've got my friend Michael, who I don't even know how to describe him. He's He's got so many things going on. Uh, but first and foremost, he's a musician and uh, has some very interesting releases and very interesting uh, things that he's done as a stage performer that uh, that we'll be talking about. Uh, in, in, and he lives in uh, Sedona, Arizona, which in and of itself is a very interesting place. So uh, thank you guys for tuning into this special episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Uh, we'll be back with Scott on Wednesday uh, at normal time, which uh, if, if you're on the West Coast is really late Tuesday night going into Wednesday. Uh, I'm sorry, did I say East or West Coast? If you're on the West Coast uh, in uh, Pacific time, uh, I think it comes on at like 11 or so is when it starts. Uh, at night. So anyway, thank you for joining us and come back and visit us on Wednesday. And as usual, if you guys have any questions, any comments, feedback, whatever, uh, feel free to shoot me an email at scott at scotthaskin.com. You can also uh, like the podcast. You can put comments on the podcast, rate the podcast. That would be any of any or all of the above would be very much appreciated. Uh, Anything that we can do to spread the word and uh, help get more people interested in what artists are doing and get to know them personally and kind of learn some fun facts and things about the industry. So thank you guys. And we'll see you on Wednesday.